Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today we have a lot to talk about, uh, just, you know, obviously with the Auburn-Kentucky game last Saturday, a lot of stuff going on in the football world. Um, Auburn later today will play Missouri, and then Auburn will play Oklahoma on Saturday. Got a lot to talk about, just a quick disclaimer. Um, due to unfortunate circumstances, I'm not able to have my microphone with me right now, so if my sound quality is a little different than it usually is, that is not a problem on your end. It's a problem on ours. That'll be fixed by next week. But regardless, Wheeler, let's just kick it off with last Saturday. I mean, absolutely crazy game. You know, just let's just go through all things Kentucky because I mean, I, obviously we played Georgia last week, but I mean, I don't think anyone really wants a, a in-depth breakdown of that game. So why don't you just kind of take us through all things Kentucky uh, on Saturday, and we can just uh, go from there. Yeah, for everybody that's listening, we're just going to consider Noble the John Calipari of podcasting today. So, so far this week, the reason the episode's coming out late already is because Chachi over here spent the night outside of Auburn Arena in the cold and started screaming at the game and couldn't talk all day Sunday. Couldn't talk on Monday either. He's finally got the voice back today. Finally gets the voice back, and what's he do? He forgets his microphone. I mean, come on. Just collectively boo in your car or wherever you're listening to this right now because Noble's <laughs> just absolutely trashing your podcasting experience. This hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I was doing my job as a fan. I mean, I, I think that, you know, as a fan, being, being at the arena, it's better that I don't have a voice the next two days and maybe, you know, add to the, add to the tough environment as opposed to my voice being totally clear for the next day. I mean, that's just, that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, so, I mean, there's two perspectives on watching the game. You've got Noble still young and in school and lucky enough to be able to go to the Kentucky game without having to pull out a second mortgage. Then you got people like me who just embraced the fact they weren't going to go to the game and decided to have fun anyway. I mean, come on, you get some Chewies, you get some Coors. That's a great way to watch Kentucky go down and watch your team become number one. I'm just saying. Okay. Hey, I, I had Coors as a part because someone spilled a beer on me at 2.30 a.m. So, I mean, I, I, you know, we, we both had a similar experience. Just mine was a little bit more miserable than yours. Yeah, but if you had a drink as that was blue like the Rockies, you would have a voice. <laughs> you would have a voice earlier, and hey. we wouldn't be in this mess. Anyway, there you go. all of that aside, man. What a wild game. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. The game was crazy. It was fun. The crowd was crazy. The reaction after the game has honestly been almost as crazy as the game itself. I have never, I think we broke Coach Cal. 
I really like Coach Cal has always hated Bruce. Mm-hmm. I think Coach Cal now hates Auburn really bad. Yeah. And I love that because you know what? I know being number one for the first time, huge accomplishment. Super glad that the AP finally got it right. But you know how you actually know you've arrived is the other team, even though they're saying all this stuff, saying they're so much better, the fact that they're so butthurt about every single thing that happened in that game shows that they're very much threatened by what Auburn's building right now in basketball and realizing that right now this season, people are more afraid to play Auburn and play at Auburn than they are at Rough Arena. And that's just the fact of the matter. And that absolutely kills Cal. You know why? That kills Cal because it makes him look terrible. He inherits one of historically the greatest basketball programs in college basketball history. I mean, for real, you put North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, maybe Syracuse. I mean, UCLA back in the day, but they haven't, you know, their home environment hasn't been good with COVID restrictions and stuff. But honestly, you have a great program. You've won one national championship. And this team that started off 19 and 50 in SEC play when your former assistant coach there has now beaten you in the Elite Eight, beaten you five out of six times when you come down to their place and just beat you again, court not stormed to get the number one rate again, AP, and takes a two-game lead over you in the SEC this week. That is a big fat L for John Calipari, and that's why he's so butthurt. Dude's just making up that we stormed the court. Now, I will say the people who are on Twitter saying, oh, it was just another game, they're being facetious, and he's taking them serious. Obviously, it's a huge game. Yeah, you are Kentucky. You are a top 15 team. It would have been a big game if you were just Kentucky, but you're a top 15 team. Any, any top 15 team that Auburn played to go to number one in the AP, people would have been excited about. I don't know what game film he was watching that he was surprised that Auburn's players were picking up their shirts and running around. Did he watch the Georgia game? I mean, KD Johnson lost his mind. After, I mean, he would make a shot and just, I mean, do this whole celebration. Dylan Cardwell has had multiple times where the play is going on around him and he's doing the, are you not entertained or bowing to the crowd or kissing to the, I mean, this team is not a normal basketball team. They're not the kind of team that's like, just keep your head down and keep on grinding. They are having a blast out there. They're just having fun playing basketball because they're winning and they are doing exactly what, and Auburn fans are doing the exact same thing. They're taking on the identity, the whole Peacock thing. It's like I said the other day, Auburn fans, Auburn players, coaches, everyone's just enjoying the fact that we're awesome right now. And we're not looking to see, oh, are we going to win the tournament? Look, we crushed Georgia. That doesn't happen in football. That happened in basketball. Beat a great team in Kentucky. Sure, it helped that Ty Ty Washington was out, and I think that it would have been a much more difficult uh, game if that had happened. But to say, you know, all the Kentucky fans keep saying, oh, our top two guards were out. I'm like, bro, Severe Wheeler still played more minutes than anyone on Auburn's team. And he came back when the game was important. Also, don't know what that guy's problem is. Um, I mean, I understand on the screen, like he was covering a guy. His teammates did him dirty. Nobody said anything. When he just ran into Walker the second time, I'm like, you're 60 feet from the basket. It shouldn't have been a foul on Walker, first of all. I mean... Dude has his feet. He's just standing there. He wasn't, he didn't like reach or anything to go get the foul. He just stood there and severe just, I mean, 
rams into the guy who's already decked you. I don't know why you thought that was going to work out for you. But, yeah, I mean, Cal's asking for screens to not be allowed in college basketball anymore. I don't know what his his overarching plan of how to play the game of basketball without screens and picks is. Um, but, hey, maybe he's got a different game plan that he came up with while he was in his state of depression after the game on Saturday. But, no, I mean, there's a ton to get into, but those are just my my initial off-the-cuff off the remarks. Noble, I have to know. I haven't, for those that don't know, I haven't been able to hear from Noble how the experience was inside the stadium because, well, he hasn't been able to talk. So this is first for you and for me. Noble, how was your experience in Pearlville and inside the stadium? So, so here, here's the thing. My, my voice is still not 100% recovered. I mean, it, it, was, it, it was a crazy time. So our plan, me, me and a couple of my friends, we had a plan. We were like, all right, we're going to get in line around 4, 4 to 5 a.m. before the game. And we were like, okay, like we, we, think, we think that would be okay. Like we thought that we would be okay to get get a decent seat for that. Um, at about seven a.m., there's the first tent goes up. Seven a.m. on Friday, the game is on Saturday, so it's seven a.m. and a tent goes up. And I remember one of my friends tweeted out that he was in line, and I think Justin Ferguson retweeted it and was like, "Oh, like they're starting to get in line." This was at like 11, 11 12 o'clock. After that, it started getting crazy. And people, like all the students were like, oh gosh, like it's happening. Like we got to camp out. I mean, by, I got there at about two o'clock on Friday and it is, I mean, it's like, it's crowded. Like it, it was really crowded at about two o'clock. And so then we're all kind of waiting in line. They put the barricades out there. No one really knows what's going on. The university really doesn't know what's going on. We're all just kind of out there. The gymnastics meet's going to start, so we don't really know how that's going to work out. Finally, we find out that they're going to open the they're going to open the barricade at ten o'clock, ten p.m., and let everyone get in line. And then nine p.m. rolls around, and someone goes through the barricade. And then it all just falls apart and someone just yells, go. And it is a mob. And it is 2,000 students at least just are sprinting through the barricades going to the door. It's about at about 9.05. It is to the point that you are, I mean, you are packed in like sardines. You can't move. There are so many people in this line. And everyone just kind of stands there and they're like, well, here we go. And we just, and then at that point, you just, you just lived there. So then you just, you, you crawled in, it's below freezing temperature. It is, I mean, it was freezing outside. And obviously, you know, people on Auburn Twitter were like donating, you know, donating money for like food and hand warmers and stuff like that. It's like, that was a great gesture, but it's like, at that point, people would come up to the line, they would throw stuff and it was just a mob of people. And it was, it was a really cool experience from about nine to 10 and then all of a sudden it started setting in that we were going to spend the night on the ground in a barricade on top of 20 other people that we did not know. And so, you know, we're, we're all kind of sitting there and we're trying to, trying to get some rest. And I remember I was lying on the, I was lying on the ground. It was so cramped. I mean, I, I had someone on top of my legs. I had someone on top of my arm. My head is underneath somebody's chair. Like I was just trying to get a little bit of sleep. 
and it was so cold and I just feel something get a little bit colder on my head. And I was like, what is this? And I just smell the alcohol and I stand up and there is just a Coors Light that has just been poured on top of me. So for the next three hours, I was cold. I was wet. I smelled like a beer. It was an absolutely miserable experience. And about, I'd say about 6.15, everybody stood up and stayed standing until they opened the gates at 10. It was the most crazy atmosphere I've ever been a part of. And it got to the point, you know, it got to the point, like, once the gates started, uh, you know, once the gates were, like, close to being opened at around 7 or 8, it, the, the morale started lifting in the line and everyone started thinking, like, okay, it's about to happen. We're about to get in. It's going to be okay. And then the line was, a, you know, it was an active group for the last couple hours. And then, obviously, when we got into the stadium, it was an absolute madhouse. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was really crazy. And, you know, after the game, Bruce, you know, Bruce talked about how much he loved it and all that and how he wanted to, to you know, reorganize some things to make it possible to happen again. And I posted – I did a question sticker, and I posted on the story, and I was like it, – it was a poll. And it was like, if you participated in this, you know, say, would you do this again? And I know for a fact that a lot of people that voted yes on that one were people that were not there because it was 70% yes and 30% no. And I think I got one – I probably got like 15 to 20 replies from people on that story, and only one person – was saying that they would do it again. Everyone else was like, absolutely not. I am never doing that again unless it is balmy and there is a great plan and it is in the 70s. Like, nobody wanted to do that again. But on the other hand, it was an experience that was like none other, you know? Like, no other class of Auburn students. You know, the people that were here when it was, you know, Chris Porter and the people that were here, you know, with, Chuck, Chuck Person, Charles Barkley, like even the people that were here in the final four years and like Isaac and Samir never came close to that. And it, it, it's, it's gotten to the point that, you know, I mean, against Georgia, the line to get into the game was backed up to Donahue four hours before the gates opened. Like for a game that we were a 23-point favorite in, Georgia's the worst team in the SEC. Like it has gotten to the point that Auburn basketball is just – Got, it, it has gotten so crazy that the fans don't even know how crazy to get. And it's just get every single game gets more eccentric, more eccentric. And it really just fits the mood of this team. And I, I remember someone, someone asked me and they were like, Who, who's your favorite player on this team and why is it KD? And I was like, you know, everyone obviously loves KD's energy. And it's because he is crazy and the fans are crazy. That's the thing. It's like, a lot of the people on this team, it's like, yeah, like they're, you know, they're, they're energetic and everything. But KD, he's different. Like he's a little crazy. Like during the game, he gets so riled up that he is just like, you, you don't know what he's like. When he celebrates, you have no idea what he's going to do because he just seems like he is so excited that he is just about to burst into flames. And that is what the fans are. And that's the th the fans have gotten to the point that they are so bought into this basketball program that they want to get as crazy as humanly possible to support the team. And I think that that's why, you know, people, you know, obviously Coach Cal and the entire Kentucky fan base, every Kentucky player has been extremely whiny about this whole thing. I mean, it has been, it, it's been really surprising. I like, 
I expected Alabama fans to be extremely butthurt after we beat them. And we, you know, we were cocky. We, we trolled them and all that. You expect that. Like from a, from a team like Kentucky though, like you would expect more from them just because like the, the air that they claim to have on them of being better than everybody else and being a different tier. It's like, they were just so whiny about the entire situation that it got to the point that you're like you can't even respect them at that point because of the all just the crazy things that they're saying and you know you touched on it earlier the fact that you know everyone's whining that severe wheeler got hurt when it was like well, he still played more minutes than anyone on auburn's team like, he still played like 36 minutes there are 40 minutes in a basketball game like most people don't play 36 minutes period and also this was something that you know kind of we can obviously go back to some of the, the other discussions, but it, this kind of is a segue into the actual game. When we were talking about Kentucky and kind of breaking them down, you look at their team and you look at how good they are. The biggest problem with this Kentucky team, and it wasn't really visible, it's been visible especially against LSU and against Auburn, their depth is almost non-existent. Their top seven is as good as anybody in the country, but eight, nine, and ten, it makes them a much worse team. And for a team like Auburn especially, we have the depth. And that's why I think I texted you during the game. I was like, we'll be – when we were – I think when, when you know, Kentucky went off to that run, they were up by like, you know, 13 or 14. And I was saying – I was like, I still think we'll win this game just because of how we were – we were playing so bad. They were playing good. And they just you, – you can't – you can't hang with a team playing 10 guys when you're only playing seven. Because it leaves no room for injury. It leaves no room for fatigue. And like they saw, so Ty Ty got hurt. And I think that the biggest thing wasn't even that they lost Ty Ty's scoring and his presence on the court. I think it was the fact that they just lost a man. Then all of a sudden, they've only got six guys that they're really comfortable playing with. And then when Severe Wheeler is out for his, you know, three to four minute stretch, then all of a sudden it's like, okay. They've got five guys that they are comfortable with playing with. They have got to throw in these guys that really don't play much. And it gets to the point where you're just like, that's the main problem with this Kentucky team. And that would be something that you would expect this Auburn team to have. You know, a program like Auburn have set you, – you can get seven guys in the program that you're comfortable playing with, whereas Kentucky, the big, the bad, the Kentucky can get the ten guys. That's not how it is. Auburn is the – you know, not a traditional basketball school, and we have gotten our recruiting to the point that we can play a whole lot of guys that are talented, like talented in high school, talented in college and all that. Kentucky, there is no excuse for a Kentucky team in any year to only feel comfortable with playing seven dudes. And I think that's the biggest problem with this Kentucky team, and that's honestly why I'm not really worried about – like. I'd be worried about playing them in March because they're a great team. I'm not – or, like, in the tournament. I'm not worried about playing them in the conference tournament because, in all likelihood, we'll be the one seed. They'll be the two. We'll be playing them in, you know, the conference championship. You know, they'll have played two games and back-to-back days playing their third. We'll, we'll be playing our third as well, but we'll be playing 11 guys, especially in that tournament because in – especially in the first round, Chris Moore and Leo are going to get minutes, especially when Bruce is wanting to save guys. So I think that if we play Kentucky again, you know, all their players were saying, oh, if we're fully healthy, we want a rematch in the SEC tournament. We want a rematch. We want a rematch. I really don't see them winning that rematch in the sense that I don't think they can hang in a tournament style atmosphere against a team that is so much deeper than them. So I think that's the biggest problem with Kentucky that was really exposed. Um, 
on Saturday, but we there kind of talk talk a little bit about the game and kind of the the battles within the battles and just what were some things that really stuck out to you about how Auburn defended Kentucky, how Auburn attacked Kentucky, stuff like that. Just kind of walks through what you were thinking throughout the game. Yeah, we so I think we said going in that the things to watch were Severe Wheeler, Ty Ty Washington, and how Auburn was able to match up down low with Shigway. So just kind of going backwards to forwards, I thought if you turn on the tape and you watch Walker Kessler play UConn, and you turn on the tape and you watch Walker play an equally or greater talented big in Shigway, it is night and day how much he has improved and how much he's learned the game and how to be smart within the game. He's gotten more physical. Um, obviously, Shigway still got points, but it's not a... I don't think giving up points at the rate that they gave him up is a bad... I mean, he's a really good player. Like, you're not just going to totally shut a guy down that's that good unless he's having an off day. So you, you would have to play the same level of defense that Auburn played and he'd be having an off day. He was having a good day because on the plays that he was able to get past, he was scoring. But he also got blocked several times by Walker and even by Jabari. Mm -hmm. I was super impressed with how Auburn was able to handle him down low. Uh, Even though Kentucky was slightly shorthanded, I I mean, I feel really good about this Auburn team being able to beat anybody because I have seen over the past several weeks, they have played – just about every style of basketball. I think the only style of basketball that they haven't played that they will not play is only run by Virginia. Virginia is not that good this year. But just thinking back to the NCAA tournament, they ran a weird defense. So unless there's a team out there that I just don't know that they run some weird defense, uh, I mean, they, they've seen everything, just about. Um, I think that that was a huge... That was the biggest thing. Regardless of what the final score of the game was, seeing that was massive to know going, you know, where this team stands. Um, I thought that the Severe Wheeler had more points than he normally does, but I mean, as we said on the on the show before, so far this season, Severe's just been a cut and dish out to other people guy. He hasn't been forced to finish and he's honestly kind of struggled finishing. And so the game plan was, hey, don't let him dish it off. Don't let him get the easy bucket. Make him finish with a tough shot, you know, down low. That's what they were able to do. He was able to make some. He was able to miss some. So, I mean, it was a well-executed game plan. Uh, starting at the beginning of the game, obviously they were having a lot more uh, success with their field goals, their three-pointers. It almost looked like the Tennessee game uh, where they were just hitting the lights out. But, it, I mean, we were texting each other and, you knew that they weren't going to keep playing like that because the Auburn defense wasn't playing bad. I mean, they were just making super contested shots down low, out at three, everything. So I was very, very pleased with the effort from Auburn. Um, I thought Alan Flanagan was able to step up. You know, we've talked about him having a little bit of a struggle this season. I thought this was his best game of the season. I thought he was more confident on offense when Auburn was – it's one of those things when Auburn was struggling to get a basket early, you could tell that the moment was was getting pretty big for some of the younger guys. And Allen was not letting the moment get too big for him. You know, he, he's been on big stages. He's been in front of crazy crowds. 
He's been in situations where it's a good team across from you. And he was able to step up and get us some but you know, get us some points when the other guys were struggling until they were able to settle into the game. After that, kind of it looked more like a normal game has looked over the past few weeks. He didn't really dominate the entire game, but in those critical moments, he was able to bring that seniority leadership that really honestly makes the difference. Because that that's a thing that a lot of young teams don't have. You know, when a team is like a Kentucky normally is, where you're bringing in transfers and you're bringing in uh, these big-time freshmen, you typically don't have that guy that's been your rock and has been a go-to guy on your team before that can level you and bring you back down. And that's what makes this team so dangerous is they have they have that seniority to keep them mature, but they also have that fire that KD brings, that killer instinct that once Jabari gets into a game and he starts getting into a rhythm, he's able to, you know, just absolutely maul the other team. Because, look, I mean, think about at the beginning of the game, Jabari puts up a couple threes and he misses them. And he, he goes a little bit uh, shy on his shot after that. And at the end of the game, He's got a double team on him, and he just pulls up over the two, and ice cold ices the game over two uh, two defenders. So he has the talent. He started cold shooting, and he got nervous. You know, it, he he didn't let it ruin his entire game. But that's what being a freshman is: is taking those difficult shots, missing them, and being like, okay, I'm going to hold up for a little bit on this. So, I this game more than a lot, I felt felt like really exemplified everything that this Auburn basketball team has been this season and what they can be this season. So I'm just, I'm really excited. I'm really high on the team right now. Um, tonight, they're playing Missouri. You know, everybody says that it's a trap game after such a big game. And I just, I don't see this team being a trap game kind of team. You know, everybody says it's kind of going to be a sleepier environment. It's a Tuesday night. This team isn't a a lack of energy team. I, I, they don't need a crowd to get hype. Like, they're just fine. When they were down at U, USF, I mean, KD was still doing whatever his crazy eyes and all of that's like, they'll get it going. They, they don't need the crowd to get them going. And I guarantee you, even though tickets are going for $6, all the students that are in Columbia, Missouri, it's a Tuesday night. What do you have to do? The student section's going to be full. They're going to be heckling before the game. That'll get them going. It's not going to be, I don't know. I feel really good about the game tonight. I don't I don't see it being a problem. I think the game, if you're going to be worried about a game, is definitely going to be Saturday. And it's not a trap game. It's just the fact that Oklahoma is a really good basketball team. They're playing in a great conference. They They haven't you know, won all their games or anything like that, but they've been competitive against really good teams. I mean, they took Kansas down to the wire the other week. They're a really solid team, and it's going to be fun because they've got a lot of dudes on their team that are like the prototype of what a student section goes after. Like, their point guard is like has long hair that he doesn't put up in a ponytail, and it just like flops around everywhere, and then their center looks like that frat guy that goes to the wreck. And, I mean, he's got a sweatband on and he's got a knee sleeve on and he has the high shorts and the curly hair. He kind of looks like Noble. And it's just, it's going to be another crazy environment and I think it's going to be another situation. I think we match up against Mizzou and Oklahoma very well because they both try, or Mizzou's leading scorer tonight 
is uh, Jordan. I think it's Jordan Davis. I know his last name's Davis. He leads their team in points, rebounds, blocks, and steals. He, he leads their team in everything but assists. And I think it's virtually impossible to lead your team in points and assists as a forward. I mean, yeah, most man, forwards. That's, that's kind of tough. <laughs> most forwards aren't going to be able to do that. So, I mean, that matches up great for us because he's a forward. So he's going to be going against Jabari, Allen, and Walker, which are the strengths of our team. So I, I'm not too concerned. This could be a freezing cold take because a lot of people probably won't listen to the podcast till after that game's happened. But, you know, knock on wood, looking into the future, I see a good game for Auburn tonight. And, yeah, I mean, and think about it. We were texting about this during the game, too. Wendell had his worst game of the season, points-wise. I mean, just shooting, he was off a little bit. He was struggling. I think that, you know, Kentucky was game planning to shut him down a little. And I was thinking back, and he really hasn't struggled this season. Like, there hasn't been a game that I could look back to that I was like, dang, he is, he's not having a good game since he's kind of come on as the guy coming yeah. off the bench. And so that was another good thing. of like, That's just another guy to see struggle and see the team overcome. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. And it was good to see, you know, it, it's almost like, it's always good to see when Wendell is doing so good, but it's also like you got to see like it's not going to happen every game. You know, like uh, everyone's going to compare, you know, everyone compares him to Jared just because he's kind of a smaller point guard. Where's number one? They play kind of similar, but it's like Jared would have some games. Jared would have some games where he was just not good. Like he would have games where he would just, you know, everyone gets excited when Jared would do his little, dribble up the floor, don't pass to anybody, pull up from the logo, he would drain it. It was hype. It was cool. But when Jared was like 0 of 4 and we're down by 8 and he did that and he missed, it was the kind of thing where you're like, bro, that's a wasted possession. So he, you know, Jared is a great, one of the best Auburn point guards ever. And he would have games where he struggled. Wendell is going to have games where he struggles. Jabari's going to have games where he struggles. Walk, like, everyone's going to have games where they struggle. But it's good that you're not dependent on a guy to do it. Like, we're not dependent on a single player to do anything. And I think that's what makes this team so lethal. And also, with what you were saying, uh, you know, about the, about the trap game kind of thing, the thing is, I don't – and I agree with you that we don't have trap games. But for the reason that it's like everyone on this team is pissed off 24-7. And they always have something to prove, but it's actually like, it's, it's legit. Like you look at Bryce Young when he won the Heisman, he gets up there and he's like, I was doubted all my life. I'm proving the doubters wrong. Okay. He went to the best high school in America, won a national championship in high school, was the number one player in the country, goes to Alabama and wins a national championship. Wins the, like, no, you weren't doubted. You just weren't like everyone thought you were going to be good. You, you weren't win the doubted. national championship. That's true. Well, yeah, the male, you won it. He wanted as a backup, but still, it's like you, you were not doubted, Bryce. Like, you weren't. You look at a guy, you know, just go through Auburn's lineup. So, it's like, okay, starting with the point guard, you got Zepp. Zepp wasn't really recruited by anyone. Like, he went to College of Charleston because it was the only option he had. He was there for four years, finally gets a chance, transfers to Auburn. We know what he's doing. Super impactful player. And honestly, just a quick thing, loves Auburn. Like, I mean, he, he came out, he was talking to people. He was talking to people in the line for the gymnastics meet. Like, 
the guy, he loves Auburn. And he, I mean, he's just a great glue guy for this team. He was also plus 17 against Kentucky, which is really And impressive. is elite on the defensive end. Exactly. Like, and doesn't turn the ball over for a point guard. Like, yeah. He, he's been totally a really solid. And admittedly, by us. I mean, yeah. we haven't given him his due. But, I mean, the dude, I mean, he's tenacious on defense. I've never seen, there was one play in this game where he got, like, screen, kind of clipped his leg, and he fell down, and he still ran the guy down to get back on his man and, like, caught up to the guy and was on him before he could make the pass. Like, he is amazing on defense and really deserves all the props that he can get for what he's doing on defense. Exactly. So, you know, he's been super, super impactful. Look at Wendell Green. Three-star player, went to La Lumiere High School, which is a great high school. Like, that is a great high school. And that's how, you know, that's how we found him in the first place because – he was playing uh, – his high school was playing Montverde. There were, you know, a bunch of five and four stars. But it was – he was an underrated guy. And it was like people – there were coaches from all over the country. Yeah, Coach K, Bruce, Coach Cal, like elite coaches go and watch La Lumiere play every year, especially when they were playing a, a high school like Montverde. So it's like elite coaches saw Wendell and were like, we're not going to offer this guy because he's too small or we don't have space for him, one thing or the other. So he goes to Eastern Kentucky, balls out there. Statistically, the second best guard in college basketball last season behind Jalen Suggs. Obviously, he enters the transfer portal, comes to Auburn. He is proving to every like so Zep's proving to everyone that he belongs in big time college basketball. And same with Wendell. Wendell's proving to everybody that they should have offered him when he was a senior in high school and not after his freshman year. Then you look at a guy like KD. KD's a guy where it's like, yeah, like he had that Auburn offer, but he didn't have Duke. He didn't have UNC. You know, he didn't have the big time. You know, it's like you got him, you got Walker, and Walker had all of them. You know, Walker's top six, it had Auburn, Michigan, Gonzaga, UNC, Duke, and someone else. But it was like he goes to UNC, and he doesn't play because Roy Williams thinks that Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott were better than him. So he's trying to prove to everybody that he should have been playing last year, that he's one of the best bigs in the country. And Jabari – when he when he leaves, has – Coaches that have never seen him play, have never honestly probably met him, commenting and saying that he's running away from a challenge because yeah. he's afraid of hard work. Yeah, exactly. So he's he's got yeah, he's got plenty of stuff to prove. Jabari, you know, Jabari's a guy who's a big time high school player, and right now, you know, he's he's not really pro- like everyone knows he's good. Everyone's talking about him, but he's trying to prove to everybody that he's better than Paolo Boncaro and he needs to be the number one overall pick. And he's got the mindset that he gets mad if someone says that he's not. And so you look at Auburn's top six players, and every single one of them has a legit reason to be pissed off. Like, every single one of them. And that's the thing why I don't think that this team's going to have trap games is because they're all like, they're all mad because they were, you know, that they weren't, you know, they, they weren't given the respect they deserve. And again, Allen, like, Allen was the best player on the team last year. He comes in. He's got to come back from injury, and nobody talks about Alan Flanagan. He gets put back in the starting lineup. He played a great game against Kentucky. He scored when we needed him. Like, he's had a good role, and no one talks about him because you got all the other guys on the team. So everybody on the team has something to prove, and but they still have the mindset that's like, yes, they have stuff to prove, but they're still playing as a team, and they're very, they have great chemistry. So I don't think that this team will really have trap games. I think that they can have off nights that were not due to preparation or intensity. Sometimes you just have an off night. And I think we could have an off night if we're in a tough 
tough environment, you know, like maybe against Florida, maybe against Tennessee, Arkansas, one of those, you know, maybe we have a tough night, they have a good night, we drop a game. But I don't think that we will lose a single game this season because we're like, we weren't prepared or they just didn't care or like the other team yeah. just wanted it more than us. So I mean, the Ole Miss game was a – the first half of the Ole Miss game was an example of the guys were locked in and ready to play, but Ole Miss hit 50% from the three, not from bad defense. I mean, they were just shooting out of their mind and we were struggling to finish. Like, that that happens sometimes in basketball. And so I, I agree with you. I don't think that we'll drop a game because of preparation. But the thing is, it is so hard for a team to beat Auburn because it is. It's Even if the, you're having an off night, they have an entire line behind them. You're going to have to have, like, eight or nine guys having, well, really. So normal for a normal team, I'd say if one or two of your guys are having a really bad off night, you're in trouble. For Auburn, it's really four, maybe five of your guys have to be having a really bad off night for Auburn to be in trouble for the whole game, not just for a half. And when you got other guys that can come in and help you out and let you go sit on the bench and kind of clear your head and start over, that helps you break that off night thing. And I think it's going to be hard for Auburn to just have a flat 40 minutes Mm -hmm. and just to go away dying. Because even in the loss to UConn, they didn't. I mean, they weren't having a great day, and they came storming back. The way they were able to beat Ole Miss, they were able to come storming back. That's the nature of this team. So, this is going to be a really, this is a super fun team to watch and super tough team to beat. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, we, we've talked about it in the past weeks. You know, with the styles, you know, and the styles of all all the play. And a lot of, you know, we talked about it a little earlier. The, one of the biggest reasons we beat Kentucky was because of our depth. And, you know, a lot of teams don't play as many as we do. Oklahoma is the difference. Oklahoma plays nine guys. They play nine guys. And they're kind of a strange team. So, I'm going to read you – I'm going to read you off their January slate of games, okay? Beat Kansas State at home by two. That's a decent win. Kansas State's an okay, uh, okay team, very streaky. Lose to Baylor on the road by 10. Beat number 11, Iowa State, by 13. Lost to number 21, Texas, on the road by 14. Lost to an unranked TCU on the road by one in overtime, where they didn't score 60 points in an overtime game, by the way. Lost to Kansas at home by three. Lost to Baylor at home by 14. And then they'll play West Virginia tomorrow. So this team has had – a few games in January where they've looked pretty good. Like you're like, okay, like against Kansas and against Iowa State, you're like, these guys, these guys can play. But then you watch them against Texas and TCU, and you're like, okay, like, like what's up with them? And the biggest thing is it's the turnovers. When they don't turn the ball over, they play great basketball. They can hang with the best teams in the country. Against Texas and uh, I mean, against Texas and the the loss to Baylor. And the, you know, sloppy performance against TCU, they had 17 turnovers in those games. I mean, it, it's tough to win games when you turn the ball over 17 times. And I think that that Oklahoma, that's, I think, the biggest matchup to watch is how they protect the ball. But while they counter Auburn with their depth, like, you know, they can match our depth guy for guy. They play nine. There's not much of a drop-off. They can match the depth. But – the way that we play defense will hurt them, I think. And I think that's the reason why I think we'll win this game is because of how many turnovers we force on the defensive end. So I think that's the biggest thing to kind of watch from this game. But, 
you know, this game, this is this is kind of a weird one because it won't it, it might not look great. Like winning this game at home, it, it'll be a quad, I think it'll be a quad two win. So it's like, okay, that's good. But like people aren't gonna be looking back to this game and be like, oh, this is this is a huge win. Like this isn't a Kentucky, this isn't even an Alabama. This is a good team. It won't look good on paper. It will not look nearly as good on paper as it is in real life. But if we beat this team convincingly, it's a huge win because this is a really, really good basketball team. And they've they've had some tough games, but like I don't know if you watched uh that Kansas game last night against Texas Tech, but like both of those teams were really good. And every time I watch Kansas, they are a really, really good basketball team. And Oklahoma hung with them punch for punch. And even though they lost by three, like, you know, they were they were in that game to the end. So this game really is kind of a sleeper game for the fans in the sense that it's not as flashy. It's not Kentucky. They're not ranked real high. But if you watch college basketball, this is a really good Oklahoma team and a really good test for a team coming off the extremely high emotions of beating Kentucky and getting the first number one ranking uh, in the AP poll, which just a quick little sidebar, our friend Jesse Newell still had Auburn at number five. So he is still not quite a believer. Um, but Wheeler, do you have any more comments about uh, Auburn basketball before we kind of transition to the football side? Yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting I, – I feel like I give almost like a, a test for, for people to watch that gives you a, a grade for this basketball team in addition to whether they're winning or losing. And I think that this week the kind of the objective that I have for the team that I'd like to see the team do – is finish the games with the I don't I'm not saying just kill the other team you know what I'm saying because I mean you can't just say oh I want to see them win by 20 but don't let those runs happen late because both games this week you have the potential to win by 10 to 15 and it not be in doubt in the last five minutes really so Missouri, they're kind of, I wouldn't say to the extent of Oklahoma, but they're very streaky. Like, they're either losing by 20 to a good team or they're taking Alabama and they're either, they beat Alabama up in Missouri. And then I know they lost by 12 this weekend, but they were down by like four with 250 left or 230 left. Like, it got out of hand with the fouls. Conzo just, kept fouling to try and extend the game and Bama just made all their free throws. So it really wasn't that it wasn't that convincing. This is a team that Auburn, I think has the potential to beat by 15 points and keep them at arm's length and not let them have a shot. Same thing with Oklahoma, that Kansas game, Kansas kept pulling out to leads of like 12 to 15 points and kept choking them away with turnovers Granted, it was in Norman, and so it's tougher to do that on the road. But these are both quality opponents that Auburn can go, and I want to see them close a game out, not just close a game out and hold on to win it, which obviously is the name of the game. It's better to hold on and win by two in an ugly one than to go up there and lose. But I'm saying, as as your season's going on and you want to see your team improve and they're already winning, you kind of raise the bar to something else of a new challenge that you want to see them meet that gives you hope for them being able to compete in the tournament. 
And you got to start learning how to close these games out because in the NCAA tournament, keeping them at a 15-point reach gives you a little bit of comfort for a run where you don't go get upset by a team you shouldn't lose to. Yeah. And so if you keep having these games, like the old Miss game where they kind of hang around and they hang around and you're winning them in the regular season, that's great. But that's not where you want to be at tournament time. Like you don't want to be the one seed and then the, you know, round of 32, you're playing like a nine seed. And, you know, they're not great, but they're good. I, I would, I could see the Oklahoma team being a uh, round of 32 team that you're playing. And so those are the teams that you got to start learning how to close them out and not let those games hang around because that's where it gets ugly in the NCAA tournament. So broadcasting forward, the Oklahoma game is great for that. And at the end of the day, if you lose that game, it's probably the best game you could lose the rest of the season because it's not a terrible loss, even though it's at home and it's not for the SEC race. So we'll see. But I, I think this is going to be a good, a good week for Auburn with – Good teams, not great teams, and an ability to improve. Exactly. And I think that's the, the big thing is that there is there's still improvement to be made with uh with our team. And you know, as as the uh as the months and the weeks pass by, we can we can still see development and just kind of still still win games. But I feel like that kind of that kind of can we can transition to football with that. Uh, it's been kind of it's been a pretty eventful week in football. It's just that people really haven't cared as much just because basketball's been doing so good. But since we last were on here, Auburn landed Oregon transfer quarterback Robbie Ashford, the Hoover native, former four star, uh, landed UNC transfer linebacker Eugene Asante, and Auburn is uh, also in the mix for Florida linebacker transfer Tyron. Uh, Hooper, who has been kind of in and out of the portal, he entered and then left and then came back. So he's he's kind of all over the place. But I think that one of the biggest things to note about Auburn's chances with him are with the whole coaching staff flip-flop with Derek Mason leaving, Jeff Schmetting coming in uh, or being promoted, Christian Robinson coming to Auburn from Florida – to be the linebackers coach and then Jimmy Brumball coming in as the D line coach. I think that some of those hires give us a good spot for a guy like him to come in and, you know, really make our linebacker core better than it was last season. But Wheeler just kind of, kind of walk us through, first of all, just kind of what you think or how you think Ashford can come in to the quarterback room, where you think he's going to end up, how you think spring is really going to work out. Do you think we'll have more departures after spring in the quarterback room, or do you think we go into next fall with those five guys on scholarship plus the uh, the walk-ons that are already there? Uh, and then how do you think all of the uh, the coaching, coaching carousel kind of affects Auburn going into spring, going into recruiting, and going into next season of the whole? I think Robbie Ashford might be – the most intriguing storyline to watch on Auburn's team throughout spring practice because he went into Oregon, wasn't able to, to do anything, really. I mean, he goes to Oregon and he red shirts. I think I said it last time on the podcast. Maybe I'd, I, I can't remember if he had committed or not, but we were talking and we said, you know, Robbie is an interesting thing because you Google his name and the stats that pull up are baseball stats. And there's no like mention of him even at the spring game or anything like that. So 
it's a very strange thing where he didn't have any playing time at Oregon, but Auburn still offered him. So I guess he's good. I think it's going to be interesting solely because I'm intrigued to see if Harson, if he has a quarterback that can run and is decent at throwing the ball, if that's what he's going to go with. You know, is he going to say, that's just the athletes that I have right now, that's what I'm going to go with? Or is he going to go with the more conservative choice with Calzada? And I honestly think who he's going with at quarterback is going to tell you a lot about what he sees at the other positions. Because if you see Calzada is the starter, so it, say we're, we all go to 8A, okay, and Robbie Ashford, I mean, I'm not saying he looks like Cam Newton, but he looks like, I don't know, just average at throwing the ball. Like he's hitting the open guys pretty consistently when he's doing his quarterback drills. He looks like, an SC, like a quarterback. You know, he doesn't look like a receiver out there. If he's playing... That tells me a lot that Harson does not have a lot of trust in these freshman receivers that are coming in, okay? Because he's saying, look, we're going to have to run the ball. It's easier to run the ball with a dynamic quarterback and a running back. If you see Calzada starting and Robbie looked okay, then I think that's saying Harson either is just as hard-headed as Gus and is going to play whatever his system is no matter who he has, or these receivers are coming in and they're going to be a whole lot better than last year. So I think the quarterback position, yes, is always interesting because it's the quarterback, but it's also going to tell us a lot about what's happening with the rest of the talent. That being said, I think that if Robbie's able to throw the ball even just a little bit better than Demetrius Davis, Demetrius is going to be out because you got to be looking at it and say, so they got two safe picks as a backup if Robbie you know, goes down and I'm sitting here at the fourth string and I'm basically a worse version of the starter. So I think he's going to be gone if Robbie's awesome. If Robbie's not good, uh, yeah, I could still see Demetrius going. I, I'd honestly be surprised if Demetrius stays um, and, unless, you know, he doesn't have any offers, which I could also kind of see that happening, that if he entered the portal. You know, you see some guys that enter the portal and then, they unenter the portal because they see what offers they got and they decide that it's better to be a fourth string somewhere. But hot take of the day, I think Demetrius Davis has a better shot at being the UCF starting quarterback sometime over the next three years than at Auburn. I mean, that's just the way that every transfer has gone so far. I could see Demetrius going to UCF, you know, after spring ball and that'd be fine. I hope he stays at Auburn. I always hope people stay at Auburn, but I just don't see if the guy is that good and you think that he's on the cusp of being the starter, I don't see going and pulling two guys from the portal and one of them being a major reach. So I think Robbie's kind of your reach guy. You bring him in. He's an athlete. You hope that Austin Davis is able to coach him up and do something with him. And if you don't, you have your safe choice in Zach Calzada. Um, so that's kind of my take on the quarterback situation. I will say this. Brian Harson needs to be the chief donor for the basketball-only facility that is being rumored uh, to be being built because if basketball was not having the season they were having right now, that man would be in a world of hurt. I don't know why there's so much negativity kind of swirling around the football program, but there just seems to be this 
all like this atmosphere around Auburn football right now that things are going very, very poorly. And I'm not getting that from Harson, but just, you know, people around the program just seem really down on the program right now. There doesn't seem to be, and this isn't from players, this is just from, you know, reading articles and just an overall sense from the fan base. The fan base has zero confidence in Auburn football right now. They have zero confidence. And I, I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's because we finished the season with a bunch of losses. But the way recruiting's looking right now, it is very much a possibility we're going to end with a top 10 class. And that that's kind of getting glossed over a little bit because if you pick up Travante Citizen, you pick up Jack Pyburn, and you pick up – isn't there an O-lineman too that we're looking at picking up? You get those – you get – all three of those, and then even on top of that, you go get that linebacker from Florida, you're looking at a top eight to top ten class, which is super impressive because think about where we were in November before the Iron Bowl. Remember, we had that huge visitor list coming for the Iron Bowl, and everybody was saying, well, I don't know why we're bringing them all in. There are, nobody's going to come play for us anyway. So, Harson, I'm confused because, like, results say – He's doing a good job, in my opinion, at least. I know that he didn't win the games, but the players got better. Like, for the first time in a long time, I thought that players looked better at the end of the season than they did at the beginning of the season. They weren't able to close games out. We had some injuries. That's why we didn't close games out. We're going to have what a lot of people would kill for as a recruiting class. And for some reason, there's this negative energy around the program. And I don't know who's left, like, I understand Derek Mason was, everybody said, was a really good recruiter and stuff. Half the people that now are down on Auburn football, though, wanted Derek Mason fired halfway through the season. Like, going into Alabama week, people were like, I hope Derek Mason gets fired. And it, and now he leaves, and they're like, how are we going to recruit without Derek Mason? And it's just, I don't know. There's a lot of hate towards Arson that I'm I'm not understanding. I was for Derek Mason the whole time. I'm sad he's gone. But also, clearly, he and Harson were not working out well together. And so, I'm, I'm fine with Jeff Schmetting. I think he'll be, you know, a fine replacement. I don't think that – I didn't think that Derek was terrible, but I didn't think that Derek was doing anything especially dynamic on the defensive end. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't understand. Maybe you can put a finger, Noble, on where you think all of the negativity – towards the football program is coming from? You know, I, I think that it's really kind of a uh, – it's kind of a blessing and a curse having the basketball program be as good as it is. Because on one hand, people are more focused on basketball than football right now. And that's good, but also basketball is winning and football wasn't. So it's kind of it's a different road – and the thing is, even the people that say the loudest, like, oh, we're a basketball school, we're a basketball school, one, even Bruce acknowledges that we're a football school. And two, I will believe that we are a quote-unquote basketball school when I do a question sticker after we just beat Kentucky with the craziest atmosphere in college basketball in Auburn basketball history. We're going to be ranked number one the next day, and the question stickers aren't 50-50 football and basketball for the most – I mean, an average period of football. Like, Auburn fans care about football more than they care about basketball, and that's just how it is. The majority of Auburn fans would rather be good at football than be good at basketball. You can be as happy as can be 
that Auburn basketball is as good as it is. You can be great, but at the end of the day, if you had a gun to your head and you have to say, all right, do you want to win a national championship in football or basketball? I'd say probably seven, eight out of ten fans are going to pick football. And so you look at it, and Harson is doing something. And Harson is having to do things that he's not used to. And I think that it's kind of a learning curve. He's got to deal with some staff turnover. He's got to deal with some player turnover. You know, he didn't really have to deal with these kind of things at Boise as much because people that were coming to Boise were bought into him. Like, he didn't inherit a team that wasn't bought into him. So he's got to deal with the exodus of transfer. And also the transfer portal is much more prevalent in college football now than it was when he was at Boise. So he's having to deal with a system where more guys are going to transfer. He's dealing with a system where he would have had more transfers whether the transfer portal was big or not. And he's got the situation of being Auburn and you have staff turnover. So I think that he is kind of in a tough position, but if you look at it, like it's not as bad as people are making it out to be like, like you touched on a little bit, Derek Mason, a lot of people didn't like him. And like a lot of people uh, against Mississippi state, I had so many people saying that they wanted to fire Derek Mason. I think Derek Mason's a good coach. I think he's a good recruiter. I think he's a good defensive coach. I don't think he's Will Muschamp. Like, if we had Will Muschamp on the defensive staff and he left, like, I'd be – I think it's a bigger deal than it is. I don't think Derek Mason really made the defense what it is. Now, some of his game points, like against Alabama, great game plan. We did a great defensive performance against Alabama, and that was great. But it's like you expect your defensive coordinator to have really good defensive performances a couple times in the year. Like – with, with with Kevin Steele, we had some defensive performances like 2019 against LSU. You were like, wow, like that was a great defensive game plan. But you didn't really have – with Kevin Steele, you didn't really have any – except for in 2020 when the talent just wasn't as good. Like in 2019, 2018, 2017, you didn't really have games where you were like, okay, they just blew open the defensive game plan. Like it just didn't work. Like our defensive game plan against Mississippi State, it just didn't work. Like – it worked for, like, the first half. And then the second half, they blew it wide open. That didn't happen under a Kevin Steele defense. And I think that's because Kevin Steele is a better defensive coordinator than Derek Mason is. I think Derek Mason's a good defensive coordinator. He's not as good as Kevin Steele. So, I don't really think that Derek Mason is that much of a loss in the X's and O's side of our defense. I think that recruiting, it might have a, might have a bit of an impact, but I don't think it makes really imp- any impact at all going into 2022. I don't think our defense will be any worse with Schmetting than it would have been if Mason had stayed because most of the guys that are going to be contributors are just really good defensive players and they're going to do their thing. And then you obviously, you look, Christian Robinson, you know, we'll, we'll, see, what, we'll, we'll see what that happens. His recruiting is good. Um, if he brings Tyron Hopper, our linebackers are going to be really good. He won't really have a chance to not be good. Like if you look at Travis Williams – like, I think Travis Williams was a average linebacker coach. He was just one of the best recruiters in the country. So he had elite talent, and so he didn't really have to do that much to make them good. We have elite talent in the linebacker. Owen Papo is one of the best linebackers in the country. Tyron Hopper is an above-average starter in the SEC, and Eugene Asante is your third-string guy. You'll be okay. And so linebackers I'm not worried about. So I, I really think that everybody is – and then obviously Jimmy Brumball, like, coming – it's like – People are going to be – everyone's concerned about next season when the things that are going on in the program will not have an effect next season. Like, Lee Hunter, Lee Hunter wasn't going to play next season. You know, like him entering the transfer portal, like, 
yeah, maybe three years down the road we'll be like, man, like if we still had Lee Hunter, that would have been something. J.J. Pegues entering the portal, that doesn't have an effect on next year. Romello Height, yeah, that's that's kind of tough, but it's like the guys that you're bringing in, you, the defense isn't going to be worse than it was last season. So, and I, I think the offense could arguably be better than it was last season. So I don't really understand why Auburn fans are just losing their mind when the things that are happening aren't really lining up with what they're saying is happening, if that makes sense. So I, I'm not I'm not super worried. I'm a little higher on this team than most. I'm higher on our team this season than I was on our team last season. I think that there is a legitimate chance that we win 10 games next season. Now, we, we've seen there's also a legitimate chance this team could win six games. Because obviously last or this past season, like that team should have won nine to ten, ended up winning six. So you'll kind of see how it goes, and that'll be indicative on the coaching staff, I think. But right now, you kind of have to give the guys a clean slate because of what's happened. And I don't really think that you can judge that much because if you're gonna talk about losing the pro, like he hasn't lost the program, his recruiting is good. Like there hasn't been anything that has happened. In my opinion, there hasn't really been much detrimental that has happened in the past two or three weeks that would change my perception of what we had during the early signing period when a bunch of people were on the Harson train and were like, okay, program's looking in the right direction. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of our reserves transfer and our one of our coaches leaves. Then all of a sudden, everyone's losing their minds. And also, I talked to someone, you know, a lot of people are mad, and I'll be interested to hear your, your take on this. A bunch of people are mad about becoming the Boise 2.0, as people are saying, with the amount of Boise State coaches on this staff. Boise State ran a great program. Like, they were one of the top non-Power 5 teams in, in college football year in and year out. And the way that coaching works is that coaches are at lesser programs. They do really good there. They go to better programs. And if they do really good there, they keep going up, keep going up, keep going up. So I don't really understand, like, everyone wants to hire people from Georgia and Alabama, but it's just like, that's just not really how it works. Like, you, most teams, like, most elite coaches didn't, like, you have to get there somewhere. Like, Nick Saban, he didn't just wake up one day and be like, oh, Alabama's going to hire me because they know that I'm a great coach. It's like, no, like, he had to prove himself. You know, like, everyone's got to prove themselves, so it's like – uh, hiring guys at Boise State, it's like they did a good job there. So the hires aren't bad. You'll obviously – you'll have to see how they work out, but it's like saying that the hire is bad just because they were at Boise State is not indicative of the hire, in my opinion, because I think that if you did a good job at Boise State, you're due for a step up. And while it might be a bit of a stretch to step up straight to Auburn, when you look at some guys, you're like – that guy, if he had stepped up straight from, like, if you can look back on coaching hires in the past 10 years, there are so many guys that, you know, had a stint at, like, a lower Power 5 program and then go to a bigger program. You're like, well, if we could have just gotten this guy back when he was at the nobody, it really would have helped our program before the Clemsons and the Ohio States and the Alabamas were in on that guy. So I, I, I personally don't really understand – the Auburn football fan base losing their minds about everything that's happened. But uh, I've, I've gone on for long enough. I'll let you kind of kind of respond to, to what I've been saying. So much of coaching and where you coach initially is not, and even, you know, on a little bit, 
a lot of it is not necessarily the talent of the coach, but the contacts that the coach has. Mm-hmm. And so just because you played your college ball out West and didn't play in the SEC doesn't mean you don't know football and you don't know how to coach. And so a lot of these guys, the reason they were coaching at Boise State is because their football talent took them to Boise State. The reason they didn't go to Alabama is because, well, I mean, their football talent wasn't that good. So their coaching talent could be really solid. They could be really good football coaches and their contacts were at Boise. They started as a GA, then they moved up to a position coach, you know? And so they could be really solid coaches. Just because you aren't at a major program doesn't mean you're not a solid coach. You know, it's it's not like players who it's an independent evaluation and they're looking at how big are you, how fast are you, how strong are you, how good at football are you. Just because you're coaching somewhere doesn't mean you're that way. Also, teams will be hiring all these people and they'll say, oh, we should go get other SEC guys hey, the reason that they're not coaching at that school anymore is because they weren't very good or they were a part of a program that was toxic and fell apart and lost a bunch of games. So in my opinion, I see it as we have a bunch of guys who are national recruiters now, and we are seeing that this year. We, I mean, this was one of our more national recruiting seasons. That's the way the transfer portal is going to be. So we've got guys that have been part of a program whose limiting factor was not their culture, but was who they were playing, okay? Because if you're a five-star athlete, why do you want to go and play in front of 25,000 people and be on pack or whatever, Mountain West after dark and be playing on Tuesday night, playing against other meh guys when you could be playing at 2.30 CBS and you have 10 million people watching? So that was the... The limiting factor of Boise State was not the quality of their coaches, but the quality of their opponents and where their athletic department was going. So now you're bringing these guys in. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to be perfect. I mean, we could see that their ceiling, everyone has a ceiling. So the quality of their coaching will come out, but you can't say after one season, oh, their quality of their coaching is shown. Because Honestly, the quality of their coaching was the best in their league, and they built a culture that was the best of any. I mean, on it's known as one of the best cultures in the group of five. Like people looked to people modeled their program after what Chris Peterson did, and what Harson did was just continue the Chris Peterson model. So that he has an elite culture that he set, and I've seen that talked about a lot on Twitter and message boards, saying, "What is the Harson culture? Why are all these people leaving?" I would really encourage, I can't remember the exact name of the podcast, but you can search Lee Ziemba, Brian Harson Boise State podcast. So Lee Ziemba played football at Auburn, and one of his buddies, and this is the guy's name I can't remember, was a backup walk-on, I think, at Auburn, ends up transferring out to Boise State. So he played for Gus, and then he went and played for Harson, and it is perfectly articulated the difference in their two programs and it's not that it's a bad thing it's just they have very different expectations and what Harson expected and what Harson looks at that's another thing people I think are getting frustrated with is you know Auburn will bring in guys on a visit and it'll say that they're evaluating them and then they'll decide that they don't want them that that's something we didn't see with Gus and people are getting frustrated that we're passing on these people that have high star ratings or something 
But if you listen to that, and there was another podcast, I can't remember, where somebody's interviewing Brian Harson while he's at Boise State, and he talks about his recruiting philosophy and how a recruiting visit goes for him. The number one thing that Harson was talking about on that recruiting visit is he would sit down with the player and he would sit down with the family and he would say, this is how we do things at Boise State. Okay, this, these are the goals that we have for you when you're here. These are the goals that I want you to see on the field. This is how practice, this is when practice is going to be. This is the expectation for when you go to practice, when you do this. He set all the expectations out and he said, how does that sound to you? Ask them that. And then he asked, what do you do now? He wanted to know, are you that kind of guy that's going to thrive in that? Or are you just saying, oh, that sounds good because you want to get a D1 offer? So Harson and these Boise guys truly are vetting a lot of players and it seems frustrating but when you're vetting these guys on the front end, you're preventing the problems on the back end. All these guys that are leaving were guys that were brought in by Gus and didn't go through the vetting process. I think that what Harson's trying to do is bring in guys that are not going to be the normal transfer portal type thing. Obviously, you're still going to have it because that's just the way that college football is now. Alabama had 14, and they have the best culture in the Power Five. Like, what do you get? You can't bring and keep everybody, but you got to bring in guys in the program that are with the way you want to do things. And I think that's what he's doing. And I mean, it's a painful transition and that's okay. And look, if we're saying it's a painful transition and we have a top eight recruiting class, I'll take that because all of this is fixed. If the guy goes out and wins 10 games next year, which is entirely possible. Like, it's not like the whole team has left. Most of the guys have come back. So, I, I'm not that concerned. I think that we're in good shape, and Auburn fans just need to enjoy basketball season and not flip out about whether football's dying or not. Yeah, and uh, also just real quick, for those that wanted to listen to the podcast that you were talking about earlier, that is called the Between the Tackles podcast with Reese Dismukes and Alex Kozan. Uh, it was posted on January 21st, 2021, 47 minutes. You can go back and listen to it. It's a great listen. Um, and just to, just to kind of wrap up, you know, just to, just to clarify what you said, you know, like one of our best coaches this season, our best recruiter, Zach Etheridge, was the cornerback's coach at Houston last season. So it's like we hired him from Houston, which is the same tier of program as Boise State is, and he's been great for us. So I, I – it just really baffles me why everyone was so so angry about everything, but you know it 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 just kind of it just kind of is what it is. And the last thing I'll say is from the players that I have talked to that have stayed and that have come in, the new guys, they all have one thing in common that they say, and it is that they think that we're going to be good next season, and that they think that the culture is good. They think that we have not really lost. Many people, if at all, that really are big losses in the sense of you can't replace them in the sense that it's like even if you can't replace their talent, you can replace someone with a little less talent that fits the team better, and it can help the team just as much as if the guy had never left. So and I've heard guys like uh, – I know so, uh, one of the new players that came in this offseason, he's had less than – I mean, less than a week with the team. And he already feels really good about the culture that is – he said it's very different from where he was, and he said that he really likes Auburn and what they're doing with the program. 
So, and I think that also, like, if Auburn football was really going down the tubes, Colby Wooden and Derek Call and Owen Papo and the whole offensive line, they would have said, all right, see y'all later. You know, like, at that point, it's like, all right, I'm going to go to the NFL. I'm going to get my money, and I'm still going to be an Auburn, like, I'm still an Auburn guy, went to Auburn, but it's like, no, they decided to come back. Yeah, they wanted to help their draft stock, but also like some of these guys, they believe that what Harson is building is something that is worth pouring into. And I think that it's it's telling that, you know, you, you would much rather lose all your reserves than lose all your starters. And that, you know, it sounds like a stupid thing to say, but it's like we kept most of our starters and the guys we're losing are all reserves, some of them that have never seen the field and probably never would. So I, it just really doesn't. It just really doesn't make sense to me why everyone is losing their minds about the football program. But regardless, I feel like that kind of wraps up our football talks. I imagine this will be the last, uh, or one of the the few times that we really harp on football for the next couple of weeks, just because news is inevitably inevitably going to slow down with football. We're kind of reaching that. Well, signing day happens next week. Yeah. So, so I mean, obviously we'll, next week. Yeah, we'll talk about obviously signing day, but I mean. You know, it's going to slow down in the football ranks, and once it kind of slows down on the football field, the basketball area just kind of elevates even more. So, you know, if you're a big basketball person, you know, definitely, you know, tune in as much as you can. If you're a big football person that just doesn't really like basketball, you know, maybe you should, you know, start liking basketball because it would bring some joy to your life. Because if you only care about Auburn football, it's kind of a sad day. And Auburn basketball is kind of bringing a lot of joy to every Auburn fan's life right now. So, might want to buy into that. But anyways, we really appreciate all you guys listening. We appreciate all the shares and, you know, replies. It means the world to us. Um, obviously, we'll come back next week with a breakdown of all that has happened in the week. And, uh, again, we just thank you guys for listening and War Eagle. War Eagle, don't lose your voice. <laughs>